This is the New Song Church podcast. You're listening to a service from our church in Oklahoma City. Wherever you're at today, we hope this helps you to better know God and to practice the way of Jesus. Now here's the message. New Song Church, how are you doing this morning? Well, I want to invite a special group of people who are in the back corner back here to go ahead and come on down. We are going to plant some people in New Song Church this morning. So make your way this way. Come on, church, give them a hand as they come down. So awesome. We have, we have over 20 people today that are being planted in New Song Church. Those of you who are, who, who are new to the church, what this means is they have gone through our Next Steps, our Next Steps program online, and they, ha- they are now committing uh, to be a part of this church, to plant themselves in this house. The Bible says that those who are planted in the, in the, cor- those who are planted in the house, in the courts of their God oh my gosh. shall flourish I should the courts know this. of the Lord. We believe that being planted in church is important. And, Nailed uh, it, Pastor John. Yeah, wow. Just a total m- moment there. But we really do believe that when you are planted in church, it's important. And we've seen it so many times that we're not just... When, when I said this last week, but it really is true. When you make Jesus the Lord of your life, you're born into a family. And we're a part of the family of God. And we have brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're a part of, of something... Uh, significant, And so we believe in the local church. I've given my life to it. And we love this. What, what these people are saying is we give our life to it. Not only do we give our life to Jesus, but we believe in the church. And so uh, so we're going to, to, to pray over them and to lead them in some declarations this morning that just kind of declare their commitment to this church and to what God's doing. And then we're going to pray over them together. So, uh, yeah, Sarah, you got anything to yeah, add? Yeah, and this is a great time uh, for those of you who are members of the church to think about these commitments that you've made and like, how am I doing? How am I doing on this stuff? All right. So don't just check out here, like engage in the moment. All right. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish in the courts of their God. There it is. All right. There we go. So I'm going to lead you guys in some declarations at the end. You will either answer, I have, I will, or I do. And uh, church, if you are in agreement with them, if you have done this, you can say this along with us, all right? Have you made an authentic profession of faith in Jesus Christ? If so, say, I have. Will you commit to engage in personal worship, obey the teachings of Scripture, and regularly fellowship with followers of Jesus? If so, say, I will. Will you commit to protecting the peace and purity of the church by acting in love, promoting unity, refusing to gossip, and pursuing biblical reconciliation? If so, say, I will. Will you support the worship and practices of the church by attempting to faithfully pray for and attend the weekend services, partake in communion, and move forward the pra- and move toward the practice of generosity through regular giving? If so, say I will. Will you commit to serving in and reinforcing the mission of the church by using your spiritual gifts to serve the church and the community? If so, say I will. Have you read and understand New Song's statement of beliefs and agree to joyfully support the leadership, vision, mission, and values of New Song Church? If so, say, I have. Do you understand that the above commitments cannot be maintained without relying on the Holy Spirit to work in your life and without certain commitments on your part? If so, say, I do. New Song Church, would you help me welcome the newest members? And then if you would... 
Church, would you, church family, would you extend your hand toward these as Sarah leads us in prayer? Yes. I'd like to read a liturgy for moving into a new home. It's very fitting for what's happening today. Lord, I pray that your spirit would inhabit this home. Make of it a sanctuary where hearts and lives are knit together, where bonds of love are strengthened, where mercy is learned and practiced. May this church home be a harbor of anchorage and refuge and a haven from which we journey forth to do your work in your world. May this place be a garden of nourishment in which our roots go deep, that we might bear fruit for the nourishing of others. May this new home be a place of knowing and of being known. Lord, I just pray for vulnerability, vulnerability in this house, Lord, that we would would, uh, humble ourselves, that we would be known for who we really are and we would know you for who you really are, God. I I pray that this would be a place of shared tears and laughter, a place where forgiveness is easily asked and granted that there wouldn't be a lie, that we can't confess our sin in this, in this house, that we can confess our sins and we can be forgiven. I, play, I pray that this would be a place where forgiveness is easily asked and granted and wounds are quickly healed, a place of meaningful conversation, not shallow fantasy football conversations, but a place of meaningful conversation, God, of words not left unsaid, a place of joining, of becoming, of creating and reflecting you, God, your image, a place where our diverse gifts are named and appreciated, where we learn to serve one another and to serve our neighbors as well, a place where our stories are forever twined by true affections in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, would you give him another hand? And then if you guys would, Courtney's right over here waving, making finger motions at you. If you would go follow her, she's going to take you back. They're going to introduce you to some of our team. We're so grateful for you. Isn't this exciting church? Don't you just love this? So awesome. So awesome. Thank you, Sarah. Shots fired on the fantasy football people. (laughs) Oh man. If you have your Bible, open up to Philippians chapter three. If you would, Philippians chapter three. And I also just want to echo, um, again, what Pastor Jackson said. This Wednesday is Landmark Assembly, and we are so pumped. If, if you don't know much about Landmark Assembly, uh, we really believe that there's this precedent we see in Scripture related to building an altar of, of worship and sacrifice unto the Lord. We see this in the Old Testament, where God would bring them through a victory. They'd build an altar, they'd sacrifice, they'd worship, and then they would leave the altar up. They wouldn't just tear it down. Many times they'd leave it up and that altar would serve as a monument to the faithfulness of God. And then every time they'd see it, they could point to it and point their kids to it and say, hey, that's, that's, we built that altar because of what Jesus did in that moment. And so this is a moment for us. We do this once a year. We come together and we remember the faithfulness of God. We build an altar. We, we offer ourselves as an altar unto the Lord, which by the way, the next series we're, we're going to have here at New Song Church in three weeks uh, is going to be called altars. We're going to be talking more about this idea, but we build this altar of worship. We're going to we're going to have an extended time of worship and extended time of prayer. We're going to pray over our city, intercede 
on, on behalf of our community, our city. Uh, and then Pastor Lee Cummings is going to be here to share a word with you. For those of you uh, who aren't aware of this, Pastor Lee is my pastor. Uh, we are a part of what's called the Radiant Network Church Group, and uh, we're connected with them. We have fellowship with them. And uh, man, he is an amazing man of God. I think last year, his the message that he shared at last year's uh, Landmark Assembly, I think is with my, the, my favorite message I've ever heard here at New Song Church. It was so good. And uh, I believe he's going to bring a prophetic word to us this Wednesday. So come prepared, come ready. But what you need to do is you need to uh, prepare right now by registering to come. Because the reality of our situation here in this building is we are a church that has over a thousand people in it, and yet we have a 300-seat auditorium. So yeah, you need to register if you want to be in this room uh, on Wednesday. And uh, just teenagers, just so you know, most likely... If it's packed, you're going to be sitting on the floor, all right? Because you're limber, you can do this, all right? A lot of us, we couldn't do this. You can do it. A lot of us do it, and we'd be down for a month. You got so come stretched. If you're young, stretch, get ready, and uh, yeah, let's get ready. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. In fact, if you want to get your phone out and register right now, I'll allow it, okay? I'll allow it. Get your stuff ready. Get going, all right? If you got your Being Transformed journals, wave them at me. Let me see those new Being Transformed journals. Yes, yeah, so good. If you haven't grabbed one of those, make sure you grab one of those out in the lobby and get ready. We're in a series uh, right now called Joy Letter, right? We've been looking at this book of Philippians, this letter that Paul wrote from prison. And one of the major themes of this, of this letter is this idea of joy. But there's another theme that we also see in this letter. And it, it, it's first introduced in Philippians chapter 1, in verse 21, Paul says this, for to me, to live is Christ. For to me, to live is Christ. In other words, Paul is saying that what, what really life is all about is Jesus. Jesus is really living means Jesus is in your life. And really living means that you're modeling your life after the life of Jesus. For to me, to live is Christ. Now that statement, when I, when I thought about it this week, it reminded me of this moment. It kind of took me back to this moment. It was 1997. Anybody remember 1997? Anybody not born in 1997? Let me see your hand if you weren't born in 1997. What's, what's frustrating to me about this? Let me tell you what's frustrating to me about this. I look around the room and I see people, I'm like, you're too old to not be born in 1997. It just proved like I'm getting old, right? But 1997 is a different world, just so you know. Different world. And, and I remember I was walking into the AMC 20 in Tulsa, Oklahoma. It was the opening weekend. It was the fall just a few days before Christmas, the opening weekend of a movie coming out that there was a lot of buzz about this movie. It was a movie called Titanic. Anybody remember this? And let me tell you, there was a buzz in the air. There was a buzz in the lobby. This, this was an exciting time. And it, I loved movies. I still love movies. And, uh, and so that day, I had gotten up early. Okay, so let me, let me take you back to 1997. 1997, if you wanted tickets to a movie, you couldn't just get on an app. There was no app on your flip phone. You had to go to the theater and you had to get there early, especially for a movie that was like this kind of movie, opening weekend, opening day, you had to get there early. And so I got there early that morning. I bought tickets for me. I bought tickets for a bunch of my friends. I was praying to God they would pay me back. Many of them didn't. Some of you still owe me money. But I bought these tickets and then, you know, there was no reserved seats then. That wasn't a thing. So what you'd have to do is you'd have to show up to the movie 
early. You'd have to be there like an hour early if you wanted a good seat. And I wanted a good seat. I had picked the nine o'clock showing because I knew it was going to be one of the two showings that were in the biggest theater possible, the, the mega screens. And that's what I wanted. I wanted the mega screen and I wanted my perfect seat. And, I, and there is a, but just so you know, there is a perfect seat. Okay. It is a third of the way up in the middle. That's the perfect seat. It's the seat where the screen is big because I'm going to a movie. I want it to be a big screen, but I don't want it so big that I have to turn my head in order to see the action. You guys with me? That's the perfect seat. Third of the way up. So I want that seat. So I got to be there early. So I'm there early. I'm in line. Many of my friends are showing up. There's that one lame friend who's not going to show up until like five minutes before the movie. So we're going to have to sit there the whole time going, no, this one's safe. This one's safe. You guys remember these days? It was a a struggle, struggle, but I'm in line waiting for the, the theater to empty so that we can go in. And then it begins to empty and people start pouring out. And, and I, I see something I have never seen before and haven't seen since. Every female coming out of this movie has red eyes and has either been crying or is currently still crying as she exits the theater. And so now I'm thinking, what is happening? What, is, what am I about to experience here? About that time, I notice this group of people that I actually know, I'm actually friends with, exits the theater, and they start to walk over to us. Now, I don't like this. And the reason I don't like this is because I don't want to hear what their opinion is. I'm 17 years old. I value my opinion. And I want my opinion not to be marred by their opinion. So I don't want to hear what they think of the movie. Listen, I'm 17, okay? I got some quirks, all right? But they're coming over. They come over. They begin to talk to us. And one of my friends asked the question that I don't want asked. What did you think? To which one of the girls looks at us with red eyes and tear-stained cheeks and says, oh my gosh, you haven't lived till you've seen this movie. You haven't lived till you've seen this movie. This is why I don't want to hear your opinion on the movie. Because now a standard has been set. And the standard is new life. (laughs) The standard is like, I was dead and now I've seen this movie and I've come alive. To which I was telling Sarah this earlier this week and she was like, yeah, that's exactly what happened to me. I saw this movie and I realized I like Leonardo DiCaprio. I've come alive in life. And that's why I look just like Leonardo DiCaprio. So anyways, the standard has been set, death to life. And I see the movie, and it was good, but I didn't come alive in it, right? It wasn't this moment of like, I didn't walk away having received kind of this transformative kind of life milestone from which now I can now base my new reality. It wasn't that. It was good. But, but I, I tell you that story because I think there's this underlined idea in that statement, you haven't lived. I think a lot of us live in a kind of state of being where we feel like that question is always kind of remaining in our, in our life. Like we haven't lived. Like there's something out there that's missing. There's something out there that we haven't quite experienced. Something's amiss. And because it's missing, life isn't exactly being lived. We're, 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 we're somewhat alive, but in a way it's kind of like we're existing because something's not quite Something's not quite right. It, it reminds me of the song by the band, the 1975. It's not living if it's not with you, right? It's like we, we're living our life and we feel like we're, we're just existing. We're not living because that you thing has not quite found its way into our life. And so we're searching. We, we're in this kind of pairing mode, trying to sync our life up with that thing that's missing so that life will, will feel like it has purpose. 
So that, that, that question or that idea of you haven't lived becomes answered in our life. And so we search and we search. But here's the problem. That the answer to that question, you haven't lived, that idea of finding purpose in life is not going to be fulfilled by any person, place, or thing in this world. The only answer to that question, you haven't lived, the only thing that can actually fill that in is this, is this statement. You haven't lived until you found Jesus. And no truer statement has ever been said because the idea of moving from death to life in a relationship, that's exactly what Jesus does in our life. In fact, the Bible says it like this in Ephesians 2 verse 1, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world. Colossians 2.13, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. Notice, relationship with Jesus from, from a state of death to a state of life. 1 John 5, 12, whoever has the Son, talking about Jesus, has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So without Jesus, you may be breathing, you may be walking, you may be talking, but you're not living. You're not truly living. You're just existing if you don't have a real relationship with God. If you haven't made Jesus the Lord of your life, you haven't lived. And so because of that, there's kind of this constant state of FOMO. This constant state of living from this place of something is missing, something is off, and I've got to find the answer to that question. Jesus says it like this in John 14, 6. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. The way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's the words of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I love how Thomas Kempis says it. He says, without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living. In other words, Jesus is life. So if you don't know Jesus, you haven't lived yet. So Paul says, to live is Christ. And behind that, that, that statement is this idea. When we really find Jesus, what we find is life. And to live our life and have life in the living of our life is to live a life with Jesus at the center. It's to live a life modeling our life after the life of Jesus. To live as Christ means you're building your life around trying to be like Jesus. It means that the teaching of Jesus and the ways of Jesus motivate your focus and purpose and shape the overall direction of your everyday life. Tim Keller says, to live as Christ means our identity and security are in Christ alone, and our purpose is to bring him glory in all we do. So throughout Philippians, Paul is beginning to really unpack this idea of what it means to live is Christ. And, and so he starts off in chapter 1 talking about how you know, there's going to be tough times, there's going to be issues that we face, and yet we can still find joy even in the tough times, even in our prison-type circumstances, because we have a relationship with Jesus. In chapter 2, he begins to unpack well, the kind of life that Jesus lived, that Jesus had this humble, servants-type life, and then he champions these friends of his who modeled their life after the life of, of humility, a life of service. And then in chapter 3, he begins to unpack this idea of a kind of rapid-firing, these ideas of what it means to live as Christ. And so there's three things that God kind of highlights to me that I want to present to you today as what I think it means to live is Christ. So let's look at the text, but before we do, would you bow your heads and let's pray? Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word, and I pray that you would bring wisdom and revelation to us today. Speak to us in Jesus' name, amen. Philippians 3, verse 3, Paul says, put no confidence in the flesh. 
Put no confidence in the flesh. In other words, don't put your confidence in your abilities, in your skills, in your wisdom, in your good looks, whatever it is that you might put your confidence in. Don't do it. Don't put your confidence in the flesh. Then he does something interesting. Verse 4, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. (laughs) He says, if someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. So Paul's like, hey, you think you got it going on? I got more of it going on, right? And then he begins to list the stuff that he's got going on. Verse 5, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. And then he, he turns it, verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, what is more, I consider everything. Somebody say everything. everything. I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing, notice how he phrases this, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. Look at the value he puts on knowing God. For whose sake I have lost all things. I've let go of all other things. Now check this out. I consider them, all that stuff that he was bragging about, I consider all of that garbage that I might gain Christ. Okay, so here's my first point this morning. To live as Christ means you quit counting on crap. Now some of you are looking at me like he just said the C word in church. And listen, I'm sorry, but... Paul said it, not me. In fact, the the word that Paul uses here for for garbage at the end of verse 8 is a Greek word, skubalo. It's only used one time in the entire Bible, right here. And basically, it's the equivalent of the modern-day word crap. Or some theologians believe it's actually a worse word that I dare not say in church. (laughs) Here's what it means. Useless or undesirable material that is subject to disposal, refuse, garbage, manure, kitchen scraps, human excrement, dung. And the voice or the tone that this is communicated in uh, is that of one that would be dismissive and, and, and basically kind of like there's a crudity to it. In other words, Paul, when he says this, he talks about all this stuff and he says, all of this stuff compared to knowing Jesus, it's all crap. It's all crap. And he says it that way specifically to shake people up, to kind of do what it did to you when I said crap a minute ago, to get you going, whoa. Why? Because so often what we do is we build our life on stuff. We put our confidence in stuff in this world that at the end of the day, compared to what it is to knowing Jesus, it's garbage. It's crap. And also notice what Paul does. He compares... This stuff and what he compares it to is not like sin. He doesn't say all this sin that people are chasing after, that's all crap. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say all of this kind of less than stuff that people think is so great, that, that's crap. No, he, he actually highlights the stuff that people around him would look at and say, that's actually of great value. That's really impressive what you have there. He, he lifts up kind of the, the stuff that the world would say, you got it going on with that stuff. And let me just tell you, Paul had some stuff that in his modern day, uh, the world that he lived in at that time, it was stuff that people looked at and said, that's impressive. That's really something. Look back at verse five. He says this, circumcised on the eighth day. This refers to him being a covenant observing Jew 
of the people of Israel, this, this emphasizes his ethnic heritage as a part of God's chosen people, of the tribe of Benjamin, he was a member of one of the two most prestigious of the 12 tribes of Israel, a Hebrew of Hebrews, this speaks to his purity as in, in his Jewish line, uh, in regard to the law of Pharisee, Paul belonged to a Fer the Pharisees, which was a religious sect known for their strict adherence to the Jewish law and tradition keeping. As for zeal, persecuting the church. Now remember, before Paul was Paul, Paul was Saul. And Saul was someone who persecuted the church. Paul was someone who was so zealous that he was a part of actually having Christians killed. In Acts chapter 7, he oversees Stephen, a Christian, being stoned to death. He oversees that and approves of that and brings the, the accusation against him. That's Paul who was once Saul. He was, he was very zealous. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Now, he's not saying he's perfect here. He's not saying he's living a perfect life. What he's saying is he follows the, the, the Jewish laws of the day diligently. So Paul in this, in these statements here, he's, he's saying, guys, when it comes to my background, I got some serious game. Like I come from the right bloodline. I got an incredible heritage. Like people around me would look at me and say, that guy's got it going on. And I am so gung ho with what I believe in that I'm even willing to go after those who don't believe the same as me and have them killed if necessary. And then he says, but, but I look at all that stuff that you might say, man, that's impressive, the kind of person, the kind of heritage, the kind of background you come from, the stuff that you got going on. I look at that stuff today, and what I once thought was gold, I now realize it's garbage. Compared to knowing Jesus, it's all garbage. Beth Moore says this, she says, Paul's shift from confidence in his achievements to finding value in Christ illustrates that true fulfillment comes from relationship with God, not our worldly status. Now, I don't know what kind of relationship that you might have with excrement, but I'll tell you what I have with it. I don't put a lot of confidence in it. Excrement I'm talking about right now. I don't try to build my life on it. I don't try to build my life with it. Excrement. I, I don't find my purpose through it. I don't look for love in it. I don't think that highly of it. Like when I'm out, we have a little French bulldog and we take our, our dog on a walk and she's out walking and we come across a pile of excrement in our neighborhood. We don't stop as a family and we go, oh guys, check it out, look at this. This is amazing. Look at it. Look at how it's all piled up there. It's got a shine to it. You want to take a selfie with it? We don't do that. You know why? Because it's excrement, right? And we all understand the role of excrement in our life. Like we don't value that greatly. Now understand what Paul is doing here. He's saying that that stuff that sometimes we look at that we value in this world and we say, oh, this is so impressive. This is so good. Compared to knowing Christ, it's crap. It's excrement. And the reason why this is so important is because we don't build our life on excrement. We don't build our life on stuff that we recognize as being garbage. But so often what we do is we look at our life and we look at this stuff and we look at this relationship or this position or, or, or this whatever it is, fill in the blank, and we say, oh, this is of such great value. Let's chase after this. Let's gain this. And we gain it. And what we find is it doesn't lead to anything good. It actually just equals a stinky, messy life. And God says, hey, there's something greater to build your life on, and it's, it's Jesus. So quit, listen, church, quit counting on crap. Quit counting on crap. And quit putting your trust in the things of this world. And let me just say it like this. Quit putting your trust in humans. So often what we do is we want to build our life 
on some relationship or even on ourself. Psalms 118 verse eight says this. It says, it's better to take refuge. That means to find security, to find safety, to find protection, refuge. It's better to find that in the Lord than to trust in humans. We got a lot of humans around us. I don't know if you've noticed that. And guess what? You is one. You're a human. And listen, I'm not saying that you are crap. But what I'm saying is sometimes we, what we put our trust in is stuff that really cannot fulfill. It can't bring true purpose and life to you. And yet we, we try to build our life on that and it's always going to disappoint. It's always going to let you down. John Calvin says the first step to wisdom is to not trust in yourself. Listen, people are going to let you down, yourself included. But you know who won't let you down? Jesus. You say, well, that's not true. I've been let down by the Lord before. Well, well have you? Have you? Or, or maybe, maybe, is it possible that it just didn't go your way, but that didn't mean it's not going the way God wants it to go, and that a good God who has good plans for you isn't taking you somewhere and shaping you and helping you to get to where he wants you to go and learn what you need to learn? It may not be going the way you want it to go, but that doesn't mean it's not going the way God wants it to go, and that doesn't mean that your best interest isn't at the end of this. But we, we got to start here. We got to quit counting on crap. Corey Tinboom says this, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. If you look at God, you'll be at rest. To live as Christ means don't build your life on excrement. Don't build your life on garbage. Quit counting on crap. You with me so far? Okay, let's move on. Verse eight. What is more, repeat this verse again, everything's a loss because of the surpassing worth of, again, notice this, this phrasing here, knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law. In other words, I'm not trying to build my life on my own ability, my own, my own uh, tactics to try to get myself to God, but, but that which is through faith in Christ Jesus, faith in the work of Jesus Christ, the righteousness which comes from faith in God, that I may, here it is again, know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Here's the second thing. To live as Christ means you make knowing God your highest priority. Make knowing God, make knowing Jesus the highest priority of your life. Now, if you've been around New Song Church for a while, you know that we have a vision in this house. And if you know it, say it with me. We want to help people know God. Let's try it again. Help people know God. When we talk about this idea of helping people know God, we're talking about relationship. We want to step into a real relationship with God. It's possible to have a real relationship with God. And God wants to have that with you. He, he doesn't want this relationship to just be based on information. Why? Because information about someone does not equal a revelation of who someone is. Now listen, information is important. And that's why we emphasize uh, formation in this church. We emphasize being in the Word and being in Scripture. But listen, all of that is based out of relationships. We need the information because the information from a place of relationship. Like, Like everything we do is based out of relationship. Like when I read the Bible, I read it to gain information about God. But I also read it so that the one who wrote it can have relationship with me through it. Are you tracking with me? So, so yes, we need the information, but more than the information, we need the relationship with the one who can bring revelation to the information. 
Because like if, let's say this, let's say that you came to me and you gave me some stats about yourself. I got a piece of paper and it had your name at the top and it, it went through all these different things about you, information about you, food you like, your favorite color, your favorite sports teams, whatever it may be. And I read that information. I can gain a lot of wisdom about who you are, but I don't really know you based on a spreadsheet. I come to know you when I spend time with you. The information is good and it will help me, but I need relationship with you. It's the information and the relationship together that help me come to know you in a greater way. And so when we talk about helping people know God, it's from that, that place of relationship. When I read the Bible, it's about relationship with God. And through the relationship, I gain the information. When I pray, it's about relationship with God. When I worship, it's about relationship with God. You, you with me so far? So we want to have relationship with God and relationship with God is possible. In fact, Jesus said this. He says, I call you friends. And when he uses that word, he, he speaks to this idea of a close friend. In fact, the word he uses actually means like a maid of honor or the best man in a wedding. That's the kind of relationship God wants to have with you. Think about if you've been married, the best man in your wedding, who, who you picked for that role, someone you could count on, someone you could trust in. God wants to have that kind of relationship with you. You can be a close friend to God. And so we're supposed to pursue that. We go after that. We go after the Lord from this perspective of relationship, not just information. Listen, Jesus is not a dead historical figure from the past to be studied. He's a living, loving savior that wants to be encountered. He wants you to have a relationship with him where you have encounters with him. Or another word for that would be experiences with him. He wants you to experience, have experiences with him. In fact, look back at what it says here in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. I'm going to read from the New Living because I like the way it phrases it. It says, I want to know Christ, and notice these words, experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. So notice the byproduct of knowing God is having experiences with God. And, and think about relationships. That's how they work, isn't it? When you have a relationship with someone, a real relationship, you have experiences with them. And those experiences begin to shape the relationship. And the more you get to know them, the more you get to know what makes them tick, how they think, what they're all about. So God wants to not only give you information, he wants to give you revelation behind the information. And that comes through a pursuit of relationship. But notice what Paul says. He, wanted, he says, I want to experience the power of his resurrection. Now, you know that the resurrection of Jesus is the most powerful moment in history, right? Like, hopefully you know that. The day that Jesus rose from the grave, he did so much. It was the ultimate display of the power of God. He defeated death. He, he conquered sin. He, he quenched the, the, the wage of sin on our life to where the, the wrath of God that was necessary to be poured out on us was poured out on him so it doesn't have to be poured out on us anymore. He defeated that. He defeated the dominion that sin had over man. We don't have to be dominated by sin anymore. The resurrection was a powerful moment. Somebody say amen. amen. Powerful moment. But Paul makes this statement here. He says that, that, that it's more than just knowing about the resurrection. There's the actual ability to, to have a relationship with God in such a way that you begin to experience the power of the resurrection in your everyday life. Now look at what he says. Verse 10, I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Now, when Paul speaks to suffering for Christ, he's talking about Jesus' unwavering determination to be obedient to the Father no matter what it cost him. 
And when you look at the life of Jesus, what you see in the life of Jesus is he was willing to submit his will to the Father, even if it cost him, even if it led him into moments of suffering. In fact, think about this. I was thinking about this this week. You know, Jesus, when he came to this earth, he left, he left heaven. And you know what he had in heaven? Perfection. Perfect power. Perfect wisdom. Perfect everything. And he left that to come to the earth. He, remember Sarah talked about this? He stooped and he stooped and he stooped. He stooped into this world, laid down all of that. So guess what? Every moment he had in this world compared to the perfection of heaven, that was suffering. It wasn't just the cross that was suffering. It was everything. If your standard, if your normal standard is perfection, anything less than that is a form of suffering. And that's what Jesus was willing to do. He's willing to step into this world Become one of us, lay down so much, stoop down, lay down all of this stuff so that he could, he could relate with us, he could set a standard for us, and he could eventually suffer and die. Why? Because it was the will of the Father. And it led to kingdom change. It led to the kingdom of God being available to each and every one of us. So understand, for us to share in Christ's suffering means, to live as Christ means that we're joining Him in the same unwavering determination to obey God's will no matter what. And let me just tell you, there will be moments that it feels like you're suffering, like you're dying on a cross. There will be times like that, but that's not the norm, really. A lot of times what suffering looks like, it takes place in our kind of normal activities of our everyday life where we choose to deny and to die to our own interests so that we can serve God. Suffering means laying down our life to conform to God's will. So let me tell you what suffering can look like in your life. Suffering can look like the embarrassment of dealing with the consequences of confessing sin to one another. Going to someone that you love Going to your spouse and saying, hey, I'm struggling in this area of sin. Coming under the embarrassment of that, but also coming under the consequences of that. You say, Pastor Josh, I don't want to do that. That's going to hurt. Yeah, that's suffering. That's hard. That's, that's humility. Or, 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 or young people, going to your parents, confessing, hey, this is going on. I need help. I'm messing up here. Well, that could lead to some consequences. Yeah, some of that's the suffering of Christ. Suffering looks like realizing that you're wrong. And when you realize you're wrong, you go to the person that you're wrong with and you say, I'm sorry, I repent. You say, I don't want to do that. That's suffering. That's humility. Suffering looks like being willing to, 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 to give sacrificially, to give of your time and to come up to serve Saturday and sacrifice your, your Saturday morning sleep in. You say, I don't really want to do that, though. I want to sleep in. Saturday is my day. Yeah, this is some of the sufferings of Christ. It's the will of the Father over your own will. Suffering looks like, hey, uh, we could really use you in a kids' class. You got some talent and ability. Can you can you step in there and serve? Well, I don't, you know, I don't really want to do that. Yeah, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna align with the will of God, and I'm gonna do what He wants over my own will. Suffering looks like, hey, I've got some money, and and I want to buy a boat, but the church needs this, or these people over here need this, or this widow or this person over here needs this, and God's inviting you to do it. And you say, yeah, but I want the boat, but I'm gonna suffer under the will of God versus my own will. Are you tracking with me here? Suffering looks like dealing with the, the loss of not being the most popular person at school or in, at work because you know that in order to be popular, it's going to lead to compromise. And so I'm willing to suffer and not be the most popular person in the office, not be the most popular person in my class because I want to submit to the will of God over what I may want in my own self. 
Suffering looks like being willing to die to our own will and preferences for the greater desire of God's will and preferences. And from that place, from that place, there's a power that can be released into your life. God can do something in your life. Tim Keller says this, there's a purpose to suffering. And if faced rightly, Jesus can drive us like a nail deep into the love of God and into more stability and spiritual power than you can imagine. Think about this. The greatest work of power that's ever been displayed in this world was the resurrection, right? What did the resurrection come after? The death. Jesus' willingness to come under the will of the Father and to die to something. And from that place, resurrection, power came. And Jesus was elevated to a new place of authority and power and strength. Maybe God's asking you to suffer under something because on the other side of that death to that thing, that, that place of your will that you need to die to, on the other side of that is a resurrection to new authority and new power and new kingdom influence that he wants to bring you to. I'm preaching better than your amen. Here's my point. Here's my point. You can't experience the power of the resurrection without being willing to suffer and die for the will of the Father. If you want to experience what Paul is talking about in the power of the resurrection, you have to be willing to, to like Jesus, fellowship in the sufferings of Christ and lay down your will for the will of the Father, to die to self, to live as Christ means make knowing God your highest priority. I want to know you relationally, Lord, and I want to know you to the point that I'm willing to lay down my life. I'm willing to lay down my will to be in your will. Here's the third thing. Still with me, church? Yes. Verse 17. Philippians 3, 17. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. In other words, hey, look for some people in your life that you can look up to spiritually. Verse 18. For many walk of whom I told you often, and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly and whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. Does that sound familiar? Sounds a lot like the ways of the world, doesn't it? But look at verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul speaks to this idea that the world is going a certain direction, but we live a different life. We live at a different standard. To live as Christ means this. It means that we align with our citizenship. You need to align with your true citizenship. I got good news for you today. You ready for some good news? If you've made Jesus Lord of your life, you're a citizen of heaven. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, and you belong to a different kingdom. You don't belong to the kingdom of this world. You belong to the kingdom of God a kingdom of life. You don't have to belong to the kingdom of death and destruction that this world aligns with. You can be a part of a different kingdom and you are a part of that, but you have to align yourself with that as well because you can be a part of the kingdom of God and yet align yourself with the kingdom of darkness. And so he says, align yourself here with your citizenship. Recognize your citizenship. Now, this is interesting when he uses this word because citizenship meant a lot to the church of Philippi. Philippi was a part of, of uh, Macedonia. They were about 600 miles from, from Rome, but they were a Roman colony. And that meant that everything that they did in Philippi reflected Rome. So they ate like Romans. They thought like Romans. They had Roman government. They had Roman architecture. They dressed like Romans. If you were born in, in Philippi, you were born a Roman citizen. Philippi was like a Rome away from Rome. That was a good joke. Rome away from Rome. So, so get this, if you live in Philippi, you didn't actually live in Rome, 
But everything you did, everything about you was shaped by the place you belonged to, even though you weren't living in that place currently. So Paul uses this word and the people of the day understood exactly what that meant. And then he, he once again, he flips it and he says, but, but so, you know, what's important, what really is a value is the, your citizenship with heaven, aligning yourself with that citizenship. So if you're a child of God, you belong to a different kingdom. So guess what that means? That means you don't belong to this kingdom. That means you don't belong here. You're an alien in this world. You're not going to be here forever. Things are going to change. Uh, Second Peter talks about this. He's talking to believers and he says, you're pilgrims, you're sojourners. You're just, you're just passing through. You're just passing through. Jesus said it like this, as you pass through, we're to live in this world, but we're not to be of this world. So we're not here to blend in. We're not here to fit in with the ways of this world. We're not here to conform to the patterns of this world. The popular culture that surrounds us does not have to determine how we think and how we act. Romans 12 verse 1 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So Colossians 3 2 says, set your minds on things above, not on the things of this earth. Why? Because you're a citizen of heaven. You're a part of a different kingdom. You're a part of a different standard of living. So if that's the case, the question is, if we don't belong to here, why are we still here? Like, why isn't it that the day that we make Jesus Lord of our life, it is like, you know, beam me up Scotty and we go to heaven and we're done with this earth. Why doesn't God just do that? Here's why. Because we have a job to do. We have a job to do. We are kingdom citizens and we have a job of expanding the kingdom of God in this earth, of, of spreading and, and expanding the borders of God's kingdom and invading the kingdom of this world with the kingdom of God, with the true king of kings kingdom into this world. And the greatest way we do this is we reach people who don't belong to the kingdom of heaven with the gospel message of Jesus so they can become kingdom of heaven citizens like us. That's what Paul is speaking to here. Part of what he's speaking to here in Philippians with this idea of kingdom citizenship is something he also talks about in the book of Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, he says, we are Christ's ambassadors. That's our role, right? An ambassador is a citizen from one country that represents the leadership and rule of another country. So like the people in Philippi belong to Rome, even though they weren't in Rome, they represented Rome to Philippi. Listen, you belong in heaven. And even though you're not in heaven, you represent heaven to this world. You represent God's kingdom. You represent the king of kings to this world. You represent Christ in you, the hope of glory. You're to represent that. You're to rep God and allow him to work through you into this world so that his light can shine through you. So people through your life can taste and see that the Lord is good. We're here to represent Jesus to this world. Jesus isn't here in the flesh anymore, but he left us here. And we're here with a job to do. We're here with an assignment to do. We're here to change this world. We're here to bring his kingdom into this world. He goes on to say, God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. God reveals himself through his people. We're called to be Christ's ambassadors. We've got a job to do. Our job is not to hide. It's not to, to, to build some kind of cabin to go into and stock it full of beans until Jesus comes back. Like that's not the goal. Listen, I want Jesus to come back as much as anybody. I pray for Jesus to come back. I look at what's going on in the world right now and so much of the world, I'm just going, Lord Jesus, come, come. But you know what? He hasn't come yet. And you know why? Because there's work to do. And I have a part to play in him coming back. I'm a part of bringing the, that kingdom message to this world so that he will come back because he hasn't come back because he wants more people to be saved. So we got to be a part of this kingdom assignment that God invites us to. We have to align with our citizenship. So let me help you with this. I'm going to give you one simple way to begin to start 
being a part of what God's inviting you to be a part of. Think about eternity. Think about eternity. How often do you think about eternity? How often do you think about the reality that there are people in this world that have an eternal existence? Every person you come in contact with, every person you know, they're going somewhere for eternity. They're either gonna be eternally connected with God in this place called heaven, or they're gonna be eternally separated from God. And beyond just someday getting to heaven, we can invite them into the reality of heaven now. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what Jesus told us to pray. We're inviting them to know God now and experience what he wants them to experience now. Or to live in hell now and then have more of it later. This is a big assignment. And in order to do that, we have to think about eternity. There, there was a guy years ago, his name was Oliver Wendell Holmes, and he kind of coined this, this statement that, that I've heard repeated many times before. He said, some people are so heavenly minded that they are no earthly good. You ever heard that before? I completely disagree with that statement. You know why? Because history tells us that some of the people who made the most impact were people who were heavenly minded. They were thinking about eternity. Listen, if you're a child of God, you should recognize Jesus is Lord, right? He's Lord. He's the Lord of Lords. And if you align yourself with that belief and you recognize that you are a kingdom citizen who is an ambassador to bring about God's kingdom rule and reign in this world, guess what? If you really align yourself with that from an eternal perspective, you're going to do some earthly good for God. You're going to make an impact in this world. And so we, we got to quit just thinking about our own little world and put our focus on the bigger picture. There are people that you know in your family, in your world, at your gym, in your school, and they're going to hell. And beyond that, they're experiencing hell right now. They need Jesus. To live is Christ. We have the answer. And if you don't know him, you're not living. You're not living. So Paul invites us to something here. Quit counting on crap. Quit building your life on stuff that doesn't matter. Quit building your life on less than stuff. Renounce that stuff. Renounce the lesser lover, lovers. Renounce the lesser loves. Throw that stuff to the side and recognize it's all about Jesus. Man, I'm telling you, so often we counsel people, we meet with people here in the church, and it breaks my heart because they, they're putting so much confidence in this person. They're putting so much confidence in this thing. And we're just pleading with them. Just, don't you know Jesus loves you? And he really does reach out to you today. And he wants to be... He wants to have a relationship with you, but you, you can't have that if your heart is divided and you're saying, oh God, I'll give you some of it, but not all of it. Jesus at the center, Jesus is our all. Jesus is number one. He didn't die on the cross so that he could break your top 10 list. He died on the cross so he could be number one. So quit counting on crap and, and, and make knowing God your highest priority. Chase after him relationally. Yes, we, we want to be people of formation being changed into the image of Jesus, right? And to do that, we have to get into his word. We have to study it. We have to read it. But we do that from, a, the, from the place of relationship. It's all about relationship because with relationship and information is revelation. And that's what we really need. And then we align ourselves with our true citizenship. And I'm telling you, my friends, Jesus offers us life and he offers us a life that we can give away. And if you have not experienced that life, you're not living. You're not living. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Lord Jesus, I thank you for all these people here today. And I pray that in this moment that we would lock in because I believe you want to say something and do something.
And so Lord, let us not, let us not lose and miss out on the work that you want to do. We've heard your word. We have faith in your word. And now, Lord, we believe that you, that you can move based on your word by our faith moving based on your word. So Lord, I pray that in this moment, God, you would, you would do something. You would do something. You would show up in a powerful way and do something in our lives. Break away chains. In Jesus' name, amen. You can look up here. I'm gonna invite the altar ministry team to come down at this time. There's four things that God put on my heart this week that I think you might find yourself in one of these four categories. The first one is this. You say, Pastor Josh, I'm not living. <laughs> I heard you talk about to live as Christ. And, and if you haven't found Jesus, you're not living. And, and you read those verses that talk about that if we don't know Jesus, that we're dead. That we're dead in our sins. We're dead in our transgressions. We're spiritually dead. And I, I recognize today, I'm not living the life you've called me to live. I recognize today, I don't have a relationship with you like I, with God, like I should. Maybe, maybe at one point you did, but you've drifted. And you know today, there's something going on in your heart today. And it's just so you know, it's the Spirit of God calling you. Because here, here's what God, my assignment is. My assignment is, as, a, as, a, as an ambassador, is to say, hey, come home. Remember we read that? Hey, come home. Because the, the truth is that Jesus offers his hand to you today. He reaches out to you today. And, and what I'm trying to do is connect your hand with his hand. And he's saying, hey, come home. I love you. I want to help you. But, but in order for, for you to have him as your savior, he has to be your Lord. Maybe you would say today, you know, I, I lifted my hands once in a service, but that's really where it ended. I've never really surrendered my life over him. Lordship means boss. And, and I, don't, I don't want to mistake this for you. It's not a hand raise. It's a life surrendered. That's what it means to follow Jesus. It's a life surrendered. And if you've never done that, if you would say, I've never done that before, I want to help you know God today. I want to help you know that you know that you're right with God and that you're beginning this process of being transformed in His image because that's what He wants for you. So we would love to pray with you over that. If you'd say, I don't know God like I should. I feel like God is calling me home. I want to help you with that. Maybe, maybe you're here today and you fall into this category. You want to confess to counting on some garbage. You've built your life on lesser lovers, on lesser loves. And you, and I believe God is inviting you to renounce those things today, to renounce confidence that you put in other stuff and so that it can be broken over your life. Because listen, until you renounce it, until you repent of it and say, I recognize I was wrong. I put my faith in money. I put my faith in this person. I put my faith in whatever. Until you renounce that and repent of that, you're going to be stuck there. But if you'll come down and you'll repent and you'll confess it and, and you say, well, it's kind of embarrassing coming down here and talking about this. Yeah, this is the sufferings of Christ. But I'm telling you, none of us are going to make fun of you or embarrass you. We just want to join our faith with you for whatever it is you're believing for. Maybe you want to commit to knowing God in a greater way today. Maybe that's you. You say, I, I, I've, been, I've been a Christian, but I, I don't know God like I should. And I want to commit to his word. I want to commit to chasing after him, being a true disciple, even being willing to suffer under whatever it is suffer under my will being for the greater will of God if that's you today I want to invite you to come down and pray or maybe you're here today and you just say I want to dedicate myself to the cause of Christ in a greater way and align myself with this true citizenship I want to be an ambassador I know there's people in my life that I need to talk to and I, if I'm being honest with you I'm kind of afraid to do it and I'm not sure how to do it well, we would love to pray with you because guess what the Holy Spirit knows how to do it and the Holy Spirit wants to empower you to do it to give you the words to say and to give you the boldness to do it. So if any of that resonates with you, if you feel like God's tugging on your heart at all with any of that today, I want to invite you not to leave with the prayer burden, not to leave with that, but to actually 
do. Listen, you've heard the word, but it's not just being a hearer. It's being a doer. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you today? Let me say it like this. What's the Holy Spirit encouraging you to do today with this word? Let's not just be people who hear. Let's be people who do. Let's be a church full of doers. Amen? Would you stand with me? If any of those things resonate in your heart, or maybe there's something else going on. Maybe you need prayer for your finances. Maybe you need prayer for health in your body. Whatever it is, we would love to pray with you today. So if that's you, I want to encourage you to go ahead and start making your way down to the altar if you feel like God's tugging on your heart. And if you would, would you put your hands up? This is just kind of a, 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 a place of surrender. As you do this, I want to pray over you. Lord, I thank you for every person in this room. I pray, Lord, that this position, we're saying to you right now, Lord, we surrender. And if there's something you want to do right now, I, I, Lord, would you speak to me? Lord, if you want me to come down and, and, and pray, Lord, I, I, speak to me right now. And Holy Spirit, I pray for boldness in people. I pray for the person right now that's wrestling with, I don't know if I should go down, Lord. I pray that they would hear your voice call them and say, hey, I want to change things. I want to, I want to, I want to help you. Lord, draw every person to the altar that needs prayer today, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks again for listening. For more information on our church or for more resources to help you grow in your faith, go to newsongpeople.com or download our app by searching for New Song Church OKC in the App Store.